All right, well, we're going to get into our lesson today, uh, Proverbs three twenty-seven through 35. And I know I promised that we'd go through Proverbs quickly, and it's like week six of Proverbs, and we're still in chapter three, so it'll pick up, I promise. Uh, but, but if you guys, I wanted to cover this text, because if you think about Marty's sermon from Sunday, he's, he kicked off this series that was really talking about standing firm in our faith. And the example he gave uh, to really kick this off on Sunday was talking about standing firm in your faith in the midst of oppression. So he's given the example from the book of Daniel with Daniel's three friends. And, and, and there's a lot of times I think my mind naturally goes to that idea of standing firm in your face in just in the midst of this, uh, this horrible trial, this, this difficult situation that you're going through. But we also have to remember that sometimes the tables get turned, Right, and, and we also have to know when we must stand firm in our faith whenever we are the one who holds the advantage or we're the one who's holding the relative power, so to speak. So, so I want to make sure this, this passage in Proverbs speaks to what it looks like to hold power and not be oppressive with that power. So uh, last week we, we talked about in here this whole concept of trusting God, that, that God's wisdom is right, that he will deliver, uh, he will deliver us, he will, he will you know, fulfill the promises that he makes for us. We saw a lot of you know, really interesting promises. And if you remember, if you were here last week, uh, we talked a lot about golf for some reason. And, and I gave the illustration that, that the best way to understand this aspect of wisdom is think of God as the creator of the game of golf of the creator of the golf course, the creator of the player designed to be able to play the game with the equipment God has provided. And, and by the way, he gives us all of this wisdom to help us understand what it looks like to swing the club, right? What it looks like to swing the club. And so now we're going to talk a little bit this week about some very practical things that he says, here's how to swing the club. So what I wanted to do, though, to kick off the lesson was, was in your groups for just a couple of minutes, and you guys on Zoom, uh, feel free to just talk out loud if you like, uh, but in your groups for a minute, I want you to, to ask, ask this question to each other and answer it. When do you find it easier to trust God? Do you find it easier in the good times of your life or in the bad times of your life? When is it easier to trust in God? Talk about that for just a couple minutes, and we'll come back. Uh, it sounds like everybody's wrapping up a little bit. So uh, between, between everybody and guys on Zoom, feel free to speak up because everybody can see you. But uh, what was the consensus at your table? Is it easier to trust God in the good times or the bad times? Yes. yes. So, yeah. Th- thank you for giving. Gene Duck gave us option number three, which was not on the question. So uh, continuing, to, to, continuing to reveal to us why we have the rule, no Gene Duck talking in class. So it, it's a... Uh, Hey, I'm just kidding, you. Yeah, exactly. So, what was the consensus? Uh, what, what was that? Tough times. What was your all's consensus? Tough times. Interesting. Tough times. You start to erode how much how much trust you're putting in God versus how much trust you're putting in yourself. And I think that's really interesting, right? It's really interesting that whenever things are going well, whenever things are going well we tend to have a bit more confidence in ourselves to go about our lives, go about our day. Uh, we put more trust in ourselves. Same thing with power, right? When we have more power, we tend to put more faith in our ability to exude that power, to, to wield that power. 
uh, for our own purposes. So I want you to keep that theme in your mind just a little bit as we go through these passages in Proverbs. It's easier to trust God in the bad times when you're calling out on your knees to God because you've hit rock bottom. That's all you got. Right, is absolutely all you've got. And sometimes that, those are the moments God uses to really teach us what faith looks like, and then he'll use that later on. Uh, but it's easier. Yeah, yeah, Charles. Yeah. Life with God is not immunity for difficulties, but peace in difficulties. Anytime you want to quote C.S. Lewis in class, that's okay by me, by the way. So, um, but anyway, I, I, I want you to kind of keep that theme in mind as, as we go through the passage in Proverbs. I want to break up 27 through 35 in about three chunks. The first chunk I want to cover is, is verses 27 and 28, and, and, and the perspective I want to cover on this is, is a, from a power perspective, is how do you use your power when you owe someone something that they rightfully deserve, right? When you owe someone something that they rightfully deserve, how do you use that power? And so verse 27, 28 says this, it says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. Now again, you read this and it sounds like a lot of common sense, right? Like you could read right past that in the book of Proverbs and never really remember reading that passage. Uh, But we do not operate this way. As an American society, we by default do not operate this way. And I'll prove it to you. Uh, accountant in the room, Mr. Brian. All right. What is the standard payment terms in most businesses that you work with? Standard payment terms, uh, net 30. Net 30, right? Net 30. Any good accountant knows standard net 30 is almost your, always your standard payment terms, which means once an invoice comes in and is approved, it normally is paid 30 days after it's approved or received, depending upon how the accountants handle it. Uh, but you hold it for 30 days from the time that's due. What do you think the, the payment terms are for Crossings Community Church Finance AP process? Cash and care. <laughs> we just have Josh Klosser walking around with a big envelope, you know, of cash handing out to vendors at all times. What do you guys think? How do you guys think we do it? Standard industry practice is 30 days. How do you think we practice? Two weeks. Sooner than that. Sooner than that. The moment an invoice comes in and it is approved, we process it for payment, right? Because... We are applying this wisdom. Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I'll give it when you have it with you. Right? there's, There's a perspective there we have to understand that the service has been provided to us. Right? We we are holding... Yeah, now... The approval process, it goes really quick when Josh, you know, gets on. You know, I'm kidding. It's, no, it goes quick. All right? we, we get them in, we approve them, we pay them, you know. And, and so um, now that being said, whenever I came here, I came from the business world, as you guys know. And one of the last projects I worked on before I came to Crossings was I took the world's largest mining company and I converted us from third net 30 payment terms to net 60 payment terms. And it saved us $1.5 billion that year in working capital, uh, funds management. And I thought I was a genius, right? <laughs> and so I get, I get here and I go, I go uh, you're paying invoices immediately? I was like, are you guys just naive? I mean, what is going on? Then they showed me in the Bible where it says that is what we should do. And there's other aspects of the Bible that will tell you to do that. But uh, we just don't normally do that. But but you're holding power. I want you to think about this. You're holding power because you're holding somebody else's assets and not giving them back. 
right? Yeah, if, you think about, if you think about this, there's some immediate application that God is telling us in his wisdom a different way to be than the world. You know, for, for those of you guys in here who run a business, for those of you guys who borrow tools from your neighbors, whatever it may be, uh, God's telling us something very simple. This is like the most subtle aspect we're going to cover today, but just saying, if it's not yours, don't hold it, right? Don't hold it. On a financial statement, keep on the finance theme for a minute. On a financial statement, whenever you have something into your possession that is something that you owe, it's called a liability, right? It's called a liability. And uh, at the church, we don't try to keep any liabilities on our balance sheet for very long. We don't have debt, you know, all that good stuff. But what I, what I think is beautiful about the wisdom of this very simple proverb is there is so much temptation in liabilities, so much temptation in liabilities, right? The, the lack of obedience that can follow because you're tempted by the liability is just insane. I mean, just whenever you're holding something that is not yours and the longer you hold it, the more you want to keep it, uh, the more you might find ways to get around having to give it back, the more you might have this genius finance guy who comes up with this idea of deferring payments even longer, right? Uh, the more you keep these things, the bigger temptation you have to go against the rule of God. That's, I, I really think that is one reason why God is so specific in the Bible about not going into debt, right? Debt becomes this weight. It becomes this burden. It becomes this something that, that uh, when you're called to go do something, you can't go do it necessarily, right? The, it becomes this really massive weight. And so God's telling us up front in this proverb, never have a liability. Don't owe something. If it's in your power to give it, give it. Get that off your shoulders, right? Be light, be nimble. Uh, and so that's a simple proverb, but it's telling us something about what it means to yield power, okay? So let's go to the second section of this. And I would say this perspective number two is, see, I'm telling you, this is the kind of day it's going to be. Um, perspective number two is, when you plan evil and take what is not yours, what has not been commanded, right? Whenever you are planning evil, you're, you're wanting to take what is not yours and you're doing it in a way that was not commanded. So let me read verses 29 and 30. It says, Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. So God entrusts us all with certain powers, and whenever he gives us those powers, he's also commanding us to use those power for his will, for his purposes, in his timing, right? I mean, that just all agree on that logic real quick. He's, all, he's entrusting us with power. He wants to make sure we're using it for his will and his time. Uh, but we find story after story in the Bible uh, where people have either not used the power God gave them for his purposes, or they've used the power he gave them and they've done it for things outside of his will, right? So they've either said, hey, you've given me all this authority, and I'm just not going to go do what you've asked me to do, or you've given me all this authority, all this power, and I'm going to go use it to do something else completely, right? We see story after story of this. And if we do either of those things, either we, we don't use the power for what he's asked or we use it for something else, we're pretty much doing this, and it's one of my most favorite lines in the Bible, uh, we are we're using it to do what is right in our own eyes. Using it to do what is right in our own eyes. Does anyone remember, we've, we've covered this passage a few times. There's a few passages in the Bible that say this, but do you know what book that comes out of? I'm looking for my pastor friends in the room. Oh, come on now, you know. Uh, yeah, he's, he's chewing. 
book, so what, what, what book we cover where it says uh, they, there was no king in the land of Israel, so, and they all did what was right in their own eyes? Judges, yeah, the book of Judges. And so as I was, as I was studying this proverb uh, about this concept of planning evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you, contending with a man for no reason— um, you know, th- this idea, it, it, this proverb seems a bit heavy, and it almost seems like like wouldn't be as applicable to us, um, especially if you're not out engaging in, you know, land warfare somewhere. Uh, but, but I wanted to actually, I wanted to talk for a second. It's a good Bible principle when you're studying the Bible to, to make sure you know what the people who were originally reading the text would have thought, right? What would they have heard in this? And so they're all coming, you know, the book of Proverbs at the time it was written would have been fresh in the history of the kingdom of Israel. And they all would have remembered the time and the stories of what came before them in the time of the judges. And so the concordance in my Bible pointed me to a story in the book of Judges that I thought was really interesting that really led to, to this proverb. And so I don't know if you guys know, the, if you want to turn in your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 18. But this is a story of Micah and the Levite priest. And I'm just going to summarize it really quick. But uh, Micah and the Levite priest, this story comes immediately after a story that we all probably know better, the story of Samson. And Samson was probably the most favorite, famous judge from the tribe of Dan. Okay, from the tribe of Dan. And I, I, want you to, I want to make sure we understand that for a second, because the tribe of Dan was, an, was given an allotment of land that really backed up. It wasn't a huge allotment of land, but it was given an allotment of land that kind of was squeezed in between the hill country and the Philistines. And if you remember, the tribe of Dan didn't do a very good job going in and actually conquering the land that God had given them. Right, So you remember, whenever they all came into Israel, there's a lot of people in Israel. God's telling them to go conquer, subdue this land. I want you in, these people out. And the Israelites did that in some places, and not as well in a lot of other places. And Dan's a great example of where they did not do a good job. They kind of kept up into the highlands where it was a bit safer, and they had a hard time coming down and, and, and really subduing the land. The Philistines were there. The Philistines had been around for a long time. They were technologically way more advanced than the Israelites were. Um, you know, and you just see them not being able to subdue. Then you get this guy named Samson, who God gives a lot of power to. And did Samson use all of his power for the purposes that God told him to use it for? Absolutely not, right? He chased some Philistine women around. He had, some, he had a lot of fun. Um, he, he, he was showboating, arrogant, all kinds of good stuff. A lot of bad things happened. Cool end to the story, though. Uh, but at the end of the day, the people of Dan were given this great power, especially at the time of Samson. They did not use it for the, for the purposes of God. And so then they find themselves stuck up in the highlands, you know, not able to farm the good land of the land of Dan that had been allotted to them. And they're, they're kind of stuck. So then you get this story in Judges chapter 8, following immediately after Samson, talking about Micah and this priest. And Micah is in the land of Ephraim, and, uh, and this Levite comes along, and uh, Micah's got this really cool um, silver idol that his mother's burned down, and he's worshiping 
Long story short, he had stolen the silver. His, he gave it back to his mom. His mom loved the fact that he stole, that he gave it back. She made it into an idol so they could worship it and praise God. So much, many things wrong with that statement. This Levite priest comes along. Micah goes, oh my gosh, you know, I could have my own priest. Stay here with me and I'll pay you a stipend to be my own personal priest. Right in the shadow of Shiloh where the actual worship was supposed to be happening. A lot wrong with that. And so these guys are getting along for a while, being kind of priest and, and uh, father figure. And then all of a sudden, these scouts from the tribe of Dan come by, and, and they you know, make contact with Micah and this priest. And what these scouts from the tribe of Dan are doing is they're trying to find a new land to, to be in, right? They're, 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 they're not content with being in the highlands. And so they go, look, God gave us this land. We can't conquer it, so we need to go find a land that we can conquer. And so they asked this Levite priest, you know, are we going to be okay to going up to this land? And he goes, yeah, go, go along your way. God is blessing this, which, again, is crap. Uh, and so they, they go along the way. They spy out this land, uh, which is in, you know, closer to modern-day Lebanon, uh, way up north in the hill country. And um, the, the name of the city um, is Laish. And so they go up and they spy on these people, and these people are peaceful people. Uh, they're not tied to the Sidonians very strongly. They have no real military. They're just living off the land. It's peaceful, but it's very good land. And they look at them and they go, we can take these guys, right? We can take these guys. And they go, all those Philistines in the land that God gave us, we can't take, right? Even with Samson, all that stuff, but we can take those guys, and, and you know, I tell you, we could spend five weeks on this story because it's a fascinating story, but I'm not going to get into every detail of how cool it is. But uh, they, 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 so they come back, and then the, the, they bring about a 600-man army, as I recall, with them now once they've spied out the land. And the army on the way stopped by Micah, stops by Micah's house and steals all of his idols, right? And then the priest says, you know, bye-bye, Micah. I've got a new job with these guys. And so he goes up with them. They slaughter everyone in the city of Laish. Right? They slaughter all of them, and they set up their own temple, and they call it the, the land of Dan. Right? They, it's now you know, Dan. If you look at some of the maps, you're going to see Dan in, the, in that area. But that was not the allotment of land that God gave them. Right? That was not the people God told them to go subdue. Right? That was not the way God told them to use their power. And what I want us to see is I want us to realize what happens to those people as they continue to utilize their power in a way that was not commanded. They just continue to slip further and further into chaos. Right? Further and further into chaos. Uh, eventually, as they keep going down this road, they, you know, they set up another temple. Uh, and for you guys who went on the Israel trip with me, we went to this temple uh, up in Dan, if you guys remember. And what, do you remember what we found in the temple? That was of interest. Your all's memory is worse than mine. So what we found in the temple were um, uh, pig bones, right? We found we found uh, all they found all types of evidence of sacrifice to pagan idols, right? They were using this temple as a shadow of the temple, you know, that that God had called people um, uh, truly. But but you see this: the people groups go down into a road where they are not faithful to God, and. 
after a while, after chaos, after chaos, after chaos, the Assyrians attack, and these guys are pretty much the first people to get conquered, right? So we just, we see a lot of consequences from their lack of faithfulness over time, but they're using a power that was given to them in a way that God did not instruct them to do, and there were real consequences for the people of Laish, real consequences for the people of Dan, real consequences for the northern kingdom of Israel over time. So, The question I kind of asked as I went through this, because this is not a, this is not a, um, this is not a pattern that only you see in the Bible. But the question I asked myself is, why is it that over and over again, we try to use our power to take what is not ours? Why is it that we do that? Whether you think about it from a foreign policy standpoint, a military standpoint, a biblical history standpoint, why is it? Uh, that we go and we contend with our neighbor whenever they've done no harm to us? Uh, Why did the people of Dan go and attack this peaceful people group when that people group had done nothing to them, you know, whatsoever? You know, why do we do that? And the answers I kept coming back with over and over again, whether it's foreign policy currently, whether it's the Roman Empire, whether it's biblical history was, we always do this, we, we exercise our power in a way we shouldn't because of fear, because of jealousy, and because of pride and misplaced purpose, right? Fear, jealousy, pride and misplaced purpose. You know, if you, if you think about the people of Dan in this story, they were jealous of the Philistines for being able to, to farm the land the way they were. They were jealous of the Philistines for the technological advancements that they had. They were jealous of the other tribes of Israel that had done a better job subduing the allotment of land that they had gotten you know, uh, as they came into the promised land. They were afraid they would be left behind. Right? They were afraid the Philistines would eventually get tired of them looking over their shoulders and attack them again. Right? Uh, there was probably a pride about how we were this great tribe of Israel and we are stuck up here on this bad land, right? And so you allow that fear, that jealousy, that pride to get you to go exercise your power in a way that God has not commanded you to do. And it takes great humility to wield the power God has given you for only his purposes. It takes great humility. With that in mind, And going back to the very beginning where we said it's harder to trust God in the times where things are good or the times when we're in power, I want to finish with verses 31 through 35 where God gives us a bit of a warning as well as a promise. He says this, he says, Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, But he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. I think it's so easy for us to allow fear, jealousy, and pride to overcome us. Just, if if you go back and you look at... um, any, any major story in history, you're going to see those themes coming up 
time and time again. Fear of land resources being, uh, being taken away. Uh, fear of my relative status in society being taken away. Jealous of what some other people group is doing that is different than me, right? You're going you're gonna to see those things do, just swell up in us and have us use this power in ways that we shouldn't do. But we must trust in the wisdom of God. And it's easier to trust in the wisdom of God when you have no other option. Right? When you have no other option, it is so easy to trust. Uh, but we've, we're called to do it as men of wisdom. Do what Marty said this Sunday. One, one of the great things he said is be prepared. Right, Prepare yourself now so that you are ready in the times when you must be able to exercise it. You know, be prepared. You know, we've got to be prepared now to apply this wisdom in the business world that you guys are in. We've got to be ready to apply it in our civil rights issues that we're dealing with as a society. We've got to be willing to, to, to utilize it. For, for those of you who have been in the military or those of you who've worked in government, be ready to apply this wisdom in the conversations we have when we shape policy, whenever we shape uh, the, the different aspects of what we do as a nation. And we have to be able to apply this wisdom as we teach our children. Right? Because it is not the conventional wisdom uh, of our society. When, whenever, I, I know I've been taught this many, many times, is that when you have power, leverage it. Right? Leverage it for whatever you're trying to get after. I mean, I was told by my boss, wield your power strong. Be arrogant. I was actually told that in a performance review. He told me to be more arrogant, uh, which not somebody at Crossings, by the way. That was not Terry Fakes' performance review. Uh, but... But that is the way we teach. And if we don't teach it directly, we teach it indirectly all the time. Right? But we're called to be humble with the power God's given us. And we're called to use it for his purposes, for his will at his time. And as he entrusts us with power, he expects that his will be done. Luke twelve forty eight is a true statement. Right? Uh, for, for those who are entrusted with much, much is to be expected. Right? So, so I, I want to make sure we realize that there's going to be times where it's not oppression we have to worry about. We have to worry about not becoming the oppressor, right? And I'm not talking about any political agenda here. I'm talking about when God's giving you the power, making sure we are wise in our utilization of that power. Make sense? Let's remember this. Remember the way this proverb closes. Because God is telling us, you do not have to worry about the fear, the jealousy, the pride that is creeping in you. You don't have to worry about this because I am the most powerful and I've got this. And remember, when you think that guy who is, who is, who is powerful and greedy and it looks like they're getting ahead in life and it feels like you're left behind, right? whenever you're seeing that, do not emulate it because, verse 34, toward the scorners, God is going to be scornful. But to the humble, God is going to give favor. To the, the wise will inherit honor, but fools will get disgrace. Right? We have to trust that that promise is also true when we feel like others are passing us by, when they're yielding the power of this world differently than the way we're called to yield the power. Make sense? I see a few confused looks on your face. If you have any questions, ask Gene. All right, so um, anyway, let me uh, pray for us and uh, we'll get out of here. Father, thank you guys. Thank you so much uh, for these men. Thank you for this time together. Uh, I ask that you to keep these guys safe as, as we go out to lunch, as we go out and just uh, back into society. I, I just ask that you would just maybe help this proverb sink in deep, 
uh, it probably has more application than I gave it credit for today. And uh, what, what we're talking about here when we're talking about your wisdom is serious stuff. Uh, there are consequences to not following your wisdom. Uh, and there are great promises and fulfillments that come from following your wisdom. Now, I just ask that you would help each of us know as it applies to our individual life, you know, what you're trying to teach us. Um, take away any bad teaching I've done today and replace it with good using your word as I say, you would be with these guys, I know all of them uh, are truly seeking you and trying to be faithful. So I say, you just help us understand uh, what you're trying to teach us here today and that we'd go apply it in your world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, gents. Y'all have a good one.